there, and welcome to the Birth Story Therapist Podcast, a safe space for mamas and parents to share their birth stories, discuss common issues experienced with parenting, feel heard and validated, engage in discussion about the complexity of their motherhood journeys, and how they manage their mental health along the way. Come here every week to hear from mamas who are just like you, figuring it out one day at a time. Hear from myself, Crystal, licensed therapist, host of this podcast, and private practice owner of Southeast Perinatal Counseling. I specialize in maternal mental health, if you haven't guessed already. I'll share helpful tips and techniques to manage your mental health as you navigate motherhood, both in the perinatal and postpartum period, as well as bring on other mamas so you can gain from their history, their stories, maybe some gems that you can apply to your motherhood journey. And of course, I also have on professionals and experts within the mental health space that might be able to offer additional techniques and resources to help you along the way. So I am really excited today because we are joined on this episode by one of our mamas. I'll let her introduce herself, but for now, I just want to welcome you and let you know that I am completely and utterly honored to be with you hearing your story, sharing your experiences, and just being a support um, as you walk through the history that's got you to where you are right now within your motherhood journey. I know that it's not often that mamas get to share their stories, um, let alone uh, be heard without judgment. So again, I just want to thank you for uh, this moment of transparency and vulnerability Um, And during this hour, I extend you my support and empathy and yeah, welcome you to share all that you feel comfortable sharing. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do. Oh, thank you, Crystal. I'm so glad that you have me on today. Um, So my name is Monique Garvin and I am a first time mom. So I just gave birth to a little girl last month just crazy to even say because I feel like I've had her for a couple of days um so she was born on January 4th of this year um and I am I guess for what I do I am a BABA program coordinator so I work with the Violence Against Women Act program um, at the Attorney General's office and I offer support to um People throughout the state, law enforcement officers, victim advocates, um, um, attorneys, etc., judges, um, and along the lines of like domestic violence, sexual assault, stalking, and harassment. So I guess you could say, outside of motherhood, my job can be pretty stressful. Um, and so I am just grateful for the opportunity to kind of share and just kind of reflect on my experience for the last year because it's been, I think, a interesting journey. And I don't think I've really had a time to just really sit and talk about it outside of like, you know, very small conversations. So thank you guys again for being here. And I look forward to sharing something that may be helped, able to help you or someone else. Here. Like, walk us through what that journey looked like to motherhood. Okay, so I am, I guess the people will call an IVF mom. So my journey did not start once I conceived my baby last year. Um, so the journey to IVF is a bit lengthy. Um, gratefully, I mean, 
thankfully, my husband and I didn't, you know, spend a lot of time trying to conceive through IVF, but it, it is an extended journey to motherhood. So we started maybe in 2000 and I want to say 19, I guess, um, because you have to, you know, with IVF to be a candidate, you have to be trying for at least seven to 12 months. Um, and initially, um, we did not decide to go this route, but when I got I moved to Columbia a couple years ago, maybe like five years ago, and I'd gone to an OBGYN, um, and he thought that I had PCOS. And so, you know, that concerned me because I just gone for a pap smear. I'm like, I need to go in and get out. And then he gave me a call back. I'm like, we don't want to give you the results over the phone. So I go in and <laughs> he's like, he walks in. He's like, what are you here for? I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> um, I'm like, how, how have you called me in for these results? And then to say that, you know, you're not sure that, you're not, you're not even sure what I'm here for. So I guess that was kind of like my first, my first um, experience with like, I guess, bad medical care. I really hadn't had it up until then. And that kind of discouraged me. So then I'm like, well, I need, do I need to go to fertility treatment? Like, what, what are my steps? Because I want to conceive. So he told us to try for a while. Um, and we didn't, you know, nothing happened. I ended up not having PCOS. He misdiagnosed me also. Um, we didn't find that out until we ended up going to the fertility clinic, um, running all these tests and trying to see, like, if anything's, anything was, you know, going on. Um, and my husband and I have not chosen to share like why we decided to do IVF. So I won't share that at this time, but long story short, we ended up doing IVF. I, we had to, you know, put back a ton of money. Um, and so that was kind of the first like sacrifice, I guess. So like the financial sacrifice in difficulty and like gathering all the money so quickly was, you know, a strain on us. Um, but we made it happen. And so we then went on to start treatment last January, January 2000, and gosh, the years ago, about 20, so the January. Um, so we'd done some tests maybe a couple months before. We started the process. We ordered medication. I was going on the weekends. I was trying to go to Greenville. It's my dad's um, birthday in February, and I'm still taking shots every day, and I'm, like, sneaking to the car to take shots, and, like, no one's supposed to know. No one's supposed to know. So you're like trying to do it discreetly. Um, but at the same time, like you're in pain, you want to talk about it. And I'm so thankful for my husband being there, being there to support me. Uh, but it's still like different being the only person going through it. And so like, I guess I kind of realized like, oh, this is like, it's our journey. But a lot of the, you know, the pressure is on me to make sure I'm doing all the things right. Um, so that, that kind of felt heavy to me at the time, but again, didn't have anyone to talk to outside of, outside of my husband, um, who has never experienced like a menstrual cramp or like, you know, so like <laughs> his understanding of it is a little bit different from like a woman's perspective, I thought. Um, so at that point we had, to, after that, we had to retrieve the eggs. So we went down to Charleston to retrieve the eggs. What they do is they sedate you. And then, you know, while you're asleep, they remove the eggs and they begin to store them. Um, so they store them, in our, in, my, in our case, they store them for five days and they monitor the eggs to see uh, which ones are going to 
um, develop, I guess, perfectly, I guess. So they grade the eggs from like one to three and they only keep the best, the best eggs that you have. So if it's like a one or a two, if it's fragmented a little bit, they will discard them or do whatever you decided you wanted to do upon um, not being able to use it. So you can give them to science, you can donate them, etc. Um, so we chose our options for that. In the end, after the fifth day, we ended up, they'll call you like every other day and say, hey, you have this many eggs, like, you have this many eggs. At the end, we ended up having, I think, three that were like perfect, I guess. Um, the other 31 were just, I guess, gone. <laughs> Um, and so we, we had to freeze them and then you have to come back and schedule a day or two, um, wants to transfer the eggs. So that was another process. Um, so that was, that was the only process that wasn't painful, I guess. <laughs> um, but you know, throughout the injections, you know, getting injections every day in the same spot, it's like, it was pretty horrific. Um, I would not want to do it again, but I guess, you know, if we decide to do it again, that's how it'll go. We'll have to. Um, at least do a portion of the journey again. Um, so we conceived last year. This is, and then I was pregnant. You know, we come back. We came back. I think in a couple of weeks to see if the you know the baby developed correctly in the fallopian tubes, and we did. And we were pregnant, and that was kind of how it happened, I guess. There to get to my beginning of my journey to motherhood, even though it felt like it started way prior. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. And you know, what's so interesting is it did start prior, you know, the the experience of you all, you know, having to um, seek out support to have these discussions about family planning, you all trying to conceive all of that was, you know, the journey that kind of started you on your way to um, your beautiful little girl who you have right now. And so um, I really appreciate you sharing that with us, um, specifically what it looked like for you to um, uh, have treatment done and what that did for you as well as your spouse. You know, I was listening to you and I heard you say specifically um, that it did not feel normal, you know, like doing these shots at home, just, it just was not normal. And you felt like you were the only person going through it. And so, you know, having these spaces that we have now where you're able to share your story, I heard you say in the beginning, you know, that you hope that your story is helpful to another mama out there or another couple. I feel like this is, this is how it begins to be helpful, you know, like you being able to walk away and know that, your story is probably falling on the ears of another mama who was just like you, who thought that she was alone going through these uncomfortable and difficult, um, abnormal situations of having to do shots at home. Does that make sense? No, it definitely makes sense. I, I think now that I'm reflecting, again, I have not reflected on this, I think in one setting. So now that I'm thinking about it, I remember before we, um, decided to do, to do the retreat, not the retrieval, the transfer. So as you can see, we hesitated because that was like the beginning of the pandemic. And we were thinking, you know, is this a good time to have a baby? But I felt like I'd, you know, gone through so much. Like, like no, we're having a baby this year. And I can remember being so afraid. And I think that fear has transferred into motherhood. But we can talk about that later. But yeah. I mean, this has definitely been, this being 2020 and 2021, this whole new life that we have um, of living and doing motherhood in the middle of a pandemic 
looks incredibly different from, you know, how we, I think, had hoped or had dreamt of our motherhood going. Um, I know in a moment of transparency for me, you know, I wish that my kid could be able to, you know, hang out with other little toddlers and do sand play at the museum and things like that. So it that brings up a good question. What do you feel like you may have grieved throughout your journey into motherhood, be it because of the pandemic, be it because of the route that you all took in order to conceive? Um, a lot of times we in society think of grief as being related to the loss of a loved one, but sometimes it can also be the be uh, the loss of experiences as well. And so um, I'd love to just hear, what do you feel like, if any, that you may have grieved throughout this whole journey? I think I probably grieved the most, like not feeling normal. I think that makes sense. Like having the experience of like, this is not how pregnancy is supposed to go. This is, I should not be having to go through this. And I think that took a toll on me. I mean, I kind of explained that earlier, but that took a toll on me. Um, and really just, I guess not having the support. I mean, typically when people get pregnant, I guess that's how I assume, you know, you're supposed to get, you're supposed to get pregnant this way and like having to go a different route or having to feel like, um, something's wrong with you. And I think, you know, we didn't share why we decided to do IVF, but when you tell someone that you did IVF, people automatically assume, oh, it's the mother, something's wrong with her. And, and thinking about, I never really aspired to be a mother, I guess, prior to, you know, getting married, but, you know, you have this idea, a lot of your worth is kind of associated with motherhood. So to not be able to do what to have to go a different route to do that thing feels kind of like pulls at your sense of worth, I think, a little bit. So I think just to tire the entire journey of get, of IVF was, was hard for me. And that's why I wanted to share with other people. It's like a lot of people actually deal with this and we just don't talk about it enough. And it's certainly not in the Black community. I don't feel like there's a lot of conversation. Everything's supposed to be a secret and we can't share this. And so I think being transparent and being vulnerable is kind of giving me my worth back. And like, I'm, I'm going to reclaim this because it's my power, not anyone else to take for me. And that's kind of where I am now, but I did leave it at once. No, I love that, that you said that you're reclaiming this. You know, oftentimes we do deem it um, abnormal or deem it uh, unusual because it's not what it should be. Uh, because there are no other imageries or stories out there that reflect yours. And it can be debilitating and it can eat at your sense of worth. So I'm right there with you. I completely understand. Oh, but just in motherhood in general and having these expectations that things should go a certain type of way um, and then feeling defeated when it doesn't. When in actuality, like you said, like you can be able to reclaim your story. And um, I heard this beautiful, I think I mentioned it last week, maybe. I heard this beautiful quote recently that said, um, you know, things don't happen for a reason. Things happen and then you bring meaning to those things. And so um, the beautiful thing in that is like, yes, like there's trauma, there's pain, there was sadness. There were all of these things that I'm sure you can identify with your story, but there's also beauty, right? There was love, there was support, there was um, compassion that came 
from yourself, from your significant other, maybe from your your community that you didn't know was there. And so, you know, it's definitely that duality that exists, you know, like being able to, you know, point to both the the yin and the yang of the situation. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for affirming that. <laughs> um yeah, and I think when you talk about grief, I probably didn't experience as much grief, you know, during the IVF process as I probably do now. I think going through pregnancy and, you know, walking into motherhood, I think the grief or, you know, this, all the feelings really have really come to the front. Because um, when you think about the fact, well, for me, I wasn't a pregnant mom who really did a lot, you know. I tried to stay isolated as much as possible because during my journey, I also contracted COVID, you know, so like we had that added piece to it. So I ended up, I think I hadn't even transferred to my OB at the time um, because I was in between, you know, leaving my fertility clinic and going into my um finding an OB and so I think I might have been eight weeks pregnant so shortly after I then I found out I was pregnant I contracted I contracted COVID and I was just like horrified because I could not believe <laughs> they're like oh I, I like did one thing like I went I think I went to visit um family in Greenville and then you know I got COVID so it's like wait I did one thing like I'm not going anywhere right and so I felt guilty for like why did I leave and so my entire pregnancy um I didn't go anywhere you know I'm like I'm gonna stay home I'm not gonna see anyone I think throughout my pregnancy I may have seen my mother twice um I didn't see any family I didn't have baby shower I didn't have any of the you know quote unquote, you know, typical experiences that I you know a pregnancy should involve. And so I can just remember being so upset. And I think now it's like intensified. Like every stage, every time I get a little closer, I get a little bit more a little bit more sad or a bit more upset or mad. Like, you know, second guessing myself like should I have, you know, pursued this process than when I did and all the things that I probably shouldn't well not shouldn't. I probably would not be feeling otherwise. I'm definitely feeling now. So just to be just to be so isolated throughout that entire journey of pregnancy was just a whole nother experience. I, I would imagine that when you all found out that your journey to conceiving had um, been successful, you had moments where you were like, oh my goodness, like I am going to be able to do this, going to be able to do that. And you had all these hopes and wishes and for it not to happen. I, I can imagine that it, it was difficult. Yeah. And I think especially because at the time that COVID was ramping up and like no one thought it was really serious or we were being told that it wasn't that serious. And then for it to like completely change, I think was a lot to take in at one time. What do you think helped keep you centered through all of that? You know, having um, been on your journey to motherhood, having to deal with COVID, grieving, you know, certain experiences that you weren't able to have. What kept you centered? The idea of keeping my child safe. Because I remember when I contracted COVID, I kept thinking I'm going to have a miscarriage or I'm going to like, this is not going to end well. Um, because it really did feel like death had come had come over me. And especially because my immune system was so vulnerable, you know, I, it, it hit me pretty hard. Um, I mean, thankfully, there weren't any lingering side effects or anything, but 
you know, the idea that I had a fever, you know, for days, I kept thinking like, oh, my child's going to be, something's going to happen to my child. And because I got in COVID in between transferring from my fertility clinic to my OB, I couldn't be seen until I'm on the second trimester because I had a COVID and then they didn't have any availability. So I had to reschedule my appointment. And so the idea of keeping my, not having to experience anything like that ever again, like it was hard for me to be isolated. But at the end of the day, I knew that was what's best for me and my family. Um, and I sacrificed too much to just kind of approach it um, half heartedly. So I really just focus on bringing really to this world. Right, right. And her name is so beautiful, Renly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. What do you think, if any, were some helpful resources um, or techniques that you, you have utilized um, throughout your whole experience, where you've been and where you are now in your journey throughout motherhood? Um, I'm trying to think. I'm not even sure how I cope with everything. <laughs> I probably really just try to just attune my attention to like work and focusing on that and just like really being able to appreciate the support when and when and where it did come so um I mentioned like not doing an in-person baby shower but you know I did a virtual baby shower and so that really meant a lot to me I know like people probably don't take virtual celebrations as seriously because they're they're not the same obviously but just like I know we had friends and family send gifts to our home and it was small but like I didn't care like a pacifier like oh someone thought of us you know and they're sending it so it was kind of like a build up into this into the day and so that really felt good and so I really tried to surround myself with people that I knew would be supportive um and not and I think in previous experience I probably thought about numbers but in this time it was kind of about quality of people that I had around me people that I knew that I needed something or I needed someone to talk to, or I needed some kind of support in this area I could just reach out to. That really kind of kept me um, feeling feeling at least a little bit good. And I really am thankful for the support that I had in my job. Like we were a pretty tight knit family. So they were very supportive, like making sure I had everything that I needed. And hey, you have this deadline coming up, you know, take your time, don't stress about it. Those things helped and they were small. Um, they weren't monetary, but they really, really felt good. Um, and beyond that, I don't know how. I feel like it's all a blur now at this point, <laughs> how I made it through. But those things definitely made me feel loved throughout the process. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much. It sounded like, you know, support was definitely something that was significant for you, for sure. When thinking about all of the challenges, and I heard you use the word, so I'll use the word sacrifices that were made in order for you to come through your motherhood what journey. What do you think is like the highlight or the standout to where you can say, okay, like here I am, like I am doing this, I am resilient, I am strong, I'm enough. All of these things have brought me to where I am. What do you think that moment was for you? I probably didn't, I don't think I oftentimes give myself enough credit as a person in general. So to do that in motherhood is a whole different experience because it requires a little bit more. <laughs> um, but I think that moment came into fruition, I think, during labor. I felt like during labor, I'm, I walked into it thinking like, oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to get through this because I am terrified of the idea of having someone come out of my vagina. Like, this is kind of scary. <laughs> um, and I can remember, like, I up until I 
had her, I was just really afraid. I could not watch pregnant videos. I didn't want to see any diagrams. I didn't want to hear anyone talk about it. I didn't even like seeing pregnant stomachs. I never showed mine. Like, it was just something I was so afraid of. But I think when I was in labor, like, everything just kind of came rushing back to me. Like, oh, my God, like, this is the moment you've been working so hard for. And while you've kind of been dismissing everything else, like, oh, you did IVF, check, you know, I've, I've kind of, I think because I'm so resilient, I don't oftentimes give myself, you know, enough acknowledgement for having strength in moments that are difficult. And so I think being able to, ha- to, to birth my daughter and to do so in a way that you know, I didn't think I would be able to do. I actually, I didn't, I didn't use it. I didn't have an epidural, any kind of pain management. And I would have never thought that would have been possible for me because again, someone who's terrified, but like really just pushing all of my energy into thinking, uh, I think I was sharing this with someone else recently. Like you can do hard things. You have done hard things and you'll continue to do hard things. And it may not be done gracefully every time, but you'll get through them. And so like, that moment for me was like, oh my God, like you are a bad, bad mama. <laughs> That's what it felt like. <laughs> I love that. I, I'm so thankful for these gems that you're dropping. I think it's incredibly important for you to be able to recognize those things. There's a concept called self-compassion that has quite frankly changed the way that I practice within um, my private practice with clients and even within myself in my personal life. Um, But it's the idea that, you know, you extend to yourself that same grace and kindness that you would extend to a loved one. And I think you did that, you know, like you, I hear you say, you know, you don't take those moments, but I mean, you definitely did that. And I would encourage you to continue to, you know, recognize self-compassion can look many different ways and, you know, being able to identify within yourself the things that are important to you, whether it's your values, your beliefs, and being able to say, like, like you mentioned earlier, you know, tough times are going to come, but you know, when it comes back to it and I can look back and reflect like, man, like I have been, I've been there. Like I did that. Like no one else brought me to this moment except me. And, you know, it, it may have been a rough journey, but you were the one to get you to this point. And so, yeah, I encourage you to look up self-compassion and practice it because it will definitely change the game when it comes to motherhood. I'll tell you, I am, what, 20 months in. I also never thought that I would be that person who's like, my baby is 20 months old. (laughs) But yeah, I'm 20 months in and self-compassion is something that I am learning to myself really intentionally put into practice daily because it will create opportunities for grace that you never knew that you never extended to yourself. So I wanted to just see where you were at with your ideas of motherhood um, compared to before you had Brinley um, and where you are now, what do you think's changed in your idea of motherhood? Oh gosh, I, I think my mom's birthday was my mom's birthday was in January, and I posted something about how I never knew like how much she put into raising me and my two other siblings until I have a glimpse of it now, but I just never knew what it entailed, and I think. You know, I think I've been kind of carrying the idea of motherhood for a while, you know, with IVF, but now I just, 
I have a whole new appreciation because I recognize all of the unspoken things that mothers have to deal with and how they continue to show up um, despite what they're feeling or, you know, what's going on around them and how your I can see how your main focus can, can and will become your child. Um, and so I think now I'm in this space where I'm trying to be, I guess, the perfect mother. <laughs> and I put a lot of pressure on myself to do that. And I, I again, everything kind of goes back to like my birth, my birth story, I guess, and how I, how I came, how I came to be, how I came to be a mother. But I remember going into labor and thinking like, this is, I didn't, I didn't have this idea of a perfect labor because I didn't know how it was going to go. I didn't know what to expect. And so because I kind of like rolled with the punches, I guess you can say, um, and like accepting whatever happens and just doing the best I can to address it. I think that kind of, I have to keep reminding myself of that as, as a new mom, because I'm so accustomed to seeing an example of what things look like or just being, being, being good at stuff. And now I kind of feel like I'm in a place where I feel vulnerable because I'm like, I hope this is right. I hope, hope what I'm doing is correct. And like just getting so much outside feedback from everyone else about what you should be doing or how things should look and how it should happen. And so really just taking my journey and thinking that it's going to be unique. Some things you're going to hear are going to be helpful. Some things are not going to be helpful. But again, back to that idea of sense of self-worth, like not let those things take away from who you are, what you become as a mother has been challenging for me. And I think coupled with that, <laughs> um, just really just the hormones and, you know, all the thoughts that you have. And so I find myself today in this space where I'm not sure if I'm experiencing like baby blues or postpartum depression or what or what's happening, but things have gotten pretty intense. And I think I'm like, I'm at almost, she's almost five weeks. So like I'm in a place where I think that's supposed to be happening. I'm not sure, but it is definitely um, <laughs> been challenging, I think, in the last couple, I guess, week or two where I'm kind of like, all right, I think I'm sure of myself, but I'm kind of not sure. And I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling upset, um, but I'm not really sure how to address it. So that's just me being vulnerable right now. So I'm kind of in that space. <laughs> my motherhood journey yeah and I, I first I just want to say I appreciate the vulnerability that you have offered us um you didn't have to say that and I'm thankful that you did because it, it opens up the conversation of perfectionism it opens up the conversation of irrational beliefs high expectations and then you know it also opens up the conversation about perinatal mood and anxiety disorder what I will say is that um, I will bring some validation and some affirmation into this space that we're in right now. So it is common for you to experience that that desire or that urge to make sure that everything is right or that, you know, everything seems perfect. Everything has their place. You're doing the things that are supposed to be done. Those are those absolute again and we struggle with that in mothers everything in us I mean we birthed this little beautiful being tells us that like your job as a mama is to you know make sure that they're safe that they are well and that things are going right for them 
Um, and so we put even more pressure on ourselves to make sure that it's done at a certain level that quite frankly is just unattainable. And so that's that self-compassion piece that comes in again. I always tell people, um, including myself in these times, that you have to be able to, you know, recognize that what worked today isn't going to work tomorrow. And you said something that was very um, inspiring and hopeful, which was that, um, you get advice from different people or people give you advice and some um, is helpful and some not so helpful. And along the way, you know, the important piece for us as mamas is to figure out the best way that we can mother our children that is most helpful to not just them, right, but also us in our mental health, in our emotional, physical, spiritual, physiological health. And so, so I just wanted to be able to say that, that it is not unusual. I know there's so many questions that moms have like around this period where they're like, should this be happening? happening? Like it's very real and like not, not even on a level that like a textbook can tell you or a book about what to expect, when expect, like none of that stuff right like really it's, it's when you get into it and um you're sitting there wondering like why is this going on am I doing the right thing am I making the right decisions and the truth of the matter is like whatever is working for you in that moment and whatever will help you to be able to breathe in and out to be able to maybe find some neutral or positive thoughts that will challenge irrationally, whatever it is that is most helpful for you in order to do those things, that is what's best for you. Getting it right every time, that ain't what's best, right? <laughs> because it's so unattainable. Like, it's, it's, it's so unattainable, Monique. Like, it creates this unrealistic expectation. And then it goes back to a word that you used or a term that you used earlier, which was your worth. You know what I mean? Like, when, I'll tell you, Moment of transparency, me and my 20 month old, every day it's like, is he going to eat today? Is he not going to eat today? <laughs> is, every, is the floor going to eat today? Like wh what's going to happen with this meal that like, and I'm literally at one point I was making like three and four different meals in order to try and get him to eat. And you know what? One of the things that was most helpful for me is, you know, coming to the understanding that, you know. They are their own beings. I am my own being. And a part of me being their mom is also, or his mom, is also being able to take care of myself. Like, yes, I have to be able to feed him. It is not my job to force him to eat, though, right? Like, I need to be able to have that balance to where I give him these opportunities. But then I also give myself these opportunities for a little bit of grace if I'm not able to get him to eat all of his broccoli and peas. Like, it's okay if things do not go 100%. Um, the way that you expect for them to go. And I would just encourage you to, you know, I think it's beautiful that you are able to um, have this level of attunement with yourself because it's very difficult to do. And it sounds like you're doing it. And um, I would encourage you just to continue to, you know, self-reflect and to bring awareness to the things that are causing you a moment of pause um, and to really investigate those things because it can provide deeper understanding and let you know, okay, there are needs unmet. Maybe this is an opportunity for me to reach out to somebody and to see, 
you know, what's something that can help me if the things that I've been doing for this period of time aren't helping me as much as I would like for them to. And so I would just encourage you to do that. And that's not a therapist talking. That's just mama to mama, (laughs) you know, from my own experience. But yeah, I would just encourage you to do that. But it is completely normal to be questioning yourself about, you know, your expectations and everything like that. Um, And when it comes to perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, we know that it's not just depression. We know that it's anxiety. We know that it's intrusive thoughts as well. We know it's psychosis. Those things can lead. It's PTSD from maybe traumatic birth experiences or experiences that have contributed to our motherhood journey and and prior experiences (laughs) that arise and come up. So, yeah, I I just want to say with that whole piece is that, um, you know, when we look at the signs and symptoms, it's also important to look at the, you know, the the period of time that or the duration that it's um, present as well as the frequency. And so, you know, there's so much information out there. I mentioned on, I think, episode two of some resources, one in particular, Monique, that I would just encourage you um, as well as other listeners, and I'll send it to you after this. I, I tell every mama who comes on about this, so it's not just you, <laughs> but um, it's called postpartum.net. And again, um, there's so much education and um, resources on that website. It is an international hub of information for mamas who may be dealing with perinatal and mood and anxiety disorders. It's also for experts and professionals like myself who can get training and get more information. Um, But yeah, the information is out there. The connections are also on that website, connections being to directories, to support groups, things of that nature. But, you know, continuing to share your story, continuing to process and Getting connected, I feel like, is something that all mamas should do, despite where you are um, in your journey, because it's helpful just to be able to hear from another mama, but then also professional as well, just to check in with them about what it is you're experiencing. Yeah, well, thank you for that. I think that, you know, well, prior to being, prior to being, well, while I was pregnant, I was going through therapy, then I stopped. And so like, I think I'm in a phase where I'm like ready to return. Like, okay, this might be a good time to kind of pause and reassess my mental health because, um, but I haven't, I have been trying to do things that I know work for me. And so I've been trying to like engage in acts of self-care um, consistently. Like just really like, even if it's like, oh, I'm going to get my nose done. Like it's small, but I know that in order for me to feel good, I need to look good. And so, like, I think as a mom of the first couple of weeks, I probably did not look my best. And I could feel that, like, tearing at my, like, all right, Monique, you can probably look a little better, and that might help you feel better. So just doing things that feel good. Um, and, like, I feel like every Saturday I've been doing something that's helpful. So I'm trying to continue engaging in things that make me feel good as a mom or as, as Monique, too. Because, I mean, when you talk about grief, you're not, when you become a mom, you're also losing, not losing, but changing at transforming self into self yeah and so like I'm really trying to do things that bring me back to her um and I think during this process I've done a lot of trauma work with well, with myself and with other people and um one thing that I think is really pulling up is a lot of like traumatic experiences in childhood I think being a mom has kind of like reinvented those things and so I really started something that I think I want to share with everyone else it's like I really I started a journal um 
to like write to my inner child because I'm trying to like nourish her, nurture her, I guess, while I'm raising my daughter. Um, I say that because I don't want to get to a space as a mom where really has to grow up one day and nurture my inner child. So if like I do that work now, then I can kind of make sure it doesn't have to happen later. So that's something that I think has been really, really helpful. Um, it's like really honoring who I was, my little my little Monique self, and then honoring like where I am as a mother too. Like I can, you know, reside in two spaces and take care of them both in order to be a whole person. So Exactly. I love that. That and that that's that duality again. Like you can do both. Like you can honor where you've been and embrace where you're headed and it not take away from your experiences, but add meaning to it. Um, I think it's amazing that you mentioned that you have created um, a journal for you to talk to your inner self. I um, am about to release on February 15th, a guided journal just for moms. And so um I'd love to send to you some excerpts from that journal so that you can use um, as you continue to venture through your motherhood journey. And it'll be available for the listeners as well on February 15th on my website. Um, But yeah, journaling is a, a powerful way for you to be able to reflect on your experiences. And it provides an opportunity as well for you to be able to see the, um, the beliefs that you're holding on to that are no longer serving you, right? In some spaces or at some points in your life, there are beliefs that you um, hold in order to survive, in order to get you through, right? And then this evolution or the transformation as you continue to learn new skills to protect your mental health and your emotional well-being, you you learn along the way that, you know, these beliefs are no longer, um, they're no longer needed. And I need beliefs that are more affirming to where I'm headed. And I think it's beautiful that you've, (laughs) you've discovered that as being a resource for you. Um, And I'd encourage other listeners to maybe look at some different ways that they can cope as well. There are literally hundreds of different ways (laughs) to be able to explore and process um, your experiences. Um, But certainly trauma definitely resurfaces and it is definitely not one of those things that you can put a bandaid over and think that it will not come out again because it, it, it certainly will. It certainly will. So I guess before I let you go, I would just love to hear from you. Um, Maybe one thing that you are hoping to continue to come in your motherhood journey and what you're hopeful for in your relationship with your husband and your baby girl um, as it relates to y'all's family journey. What are you hopeful for? I'm hopeful. I think, you know, I I'm, I think I've kind of seen it so far already, but I'm hopeful that 
you know, my husband and I can continue to grow as a couple because that is yet another relationship that has to be nurtured. <laughs> because, you know, as I think about my experience, I think about, and I probably haven't given enough thought to this, you know, he has had to change a lot of stuff too. Um, he's having to evolve into someone different or transform um, to become better for both myself and Renly. So I'm hoping that I have the tools and I'm asking that, you know, God or the universe, however I think about it today, <laughs> will continue to bring to me the resources, the thoughts, the wisdom, the love that I need to nurture both of them. Um, and that we can continue to become a more complete and more whole family, um, whether we decide to grow or not from this space. I mean, as you know, as a family in number. Um, and I'm hopeful that we will just continue to like love on each other and offer grace and really just be open and available for everyone to change because really it's changing because she's growing every day. <laughs> and then, you know, I'm changing and Kimberly's changing. So just really being flexible with each other, offering grace and really just making sure that we can support each other. However, that turns in the future. Yeah. Oh, well, I appreciate you again joining and sharing your story for not just the listeners, but also for myself. It's been an amazing almost hour. Just being present. And, you know, I I value these experiences so much um, because we are in a time where we don't get to engage with other mamas, right? But then I also value it because it's real. Like it, it, it is, there is no other experience, at least for myself, that I've ever had in my life where um, you, you thought you knew, <laughs> but like you literally do not know <laughs> until you start doing it. <laughs> You do not know. You mentioned earlier, like, uh, that, like, you've been so great at so many other things. And then this is kind of just like, what is going on? And, like, it is, I love being able to chat with mamas because it is, that is so true. Like, you, you are amazing and you are, um, able to do so many things. And while this is one that seems so unfamiliar and comes with highs and lows, um, it's still one that we are able to rock out and totally find our footing and navigate. And so I just want to, again, just extend thanks and um, appreciation for your time and um, your willingness to to be transparent on today. Thank you, Crystal, for having me. Um, I can't wait to listen to the other stories that you're going to be sharing on this podcast. And I'm so thankful that, that you are creating a space for this to happen. So I applaud you as well. And have me back anytime. I'm sure I have more things that will be happening to me <laughs> in the next couple of months. <laughs> all right Monique you take care bye-bye as always it's important for me to note that this podcast does not replace being connected or receiving therapeutic services from a licensed mental health clinician if you are experiencing a life-threatening emergency please call 911 or go to your local emergency room you can also find additional resources on episode two one being postpartum.net, where you can get connected with support groups, as well as therapists, psychiatrists, 
other providers within your community that may be of service to you on your motherhood journey. Again, that resource is postpartum.net, but you can find additional ones on episode two. Thank you.